What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a special guest with us today. I've been looking forward to this for a number of weeks. He's the president of a second-generation family business management and training corporation. It goes by MTC, and it is a leader in corrections, education, and job training. They have 10,000 employees in the United States, Australia, and the uh, United Kingdom, and Egypt. So welcome, Bob Marquardt. Thanks, Steve. It's good to be with you. Okay, same here. And before we get started, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about MTC and Bob, so you have a feel for this. Uh, This is not just an ordinary guest. I've had the privilege of knowing Bob for 35 years. And when Bob and I first met, it was through the Young Presidents Organization. We both had brown hair. (laughs) (laughs) Now we (laughs) we both have white hair. And uh, Bob was running a printing company, and and that will put in context the experience that he's had with MTC. Management and Training Corporation provides an at-risk population with job training programs that include vocational, academic, social skills. And as the largest contractor for the U.S. Department of Labor, MTC runs 27 job course centers and sites that offer this kind of training in a variety of programs, such as auto mechanics, office skills, welding. And that number may have changed in the last couple of years, but that gives you a feel for the scope. And and they've built upon that, and they are the third largest manager of uh, prisons and uh, jails, correctional facilities throughout the United States and, and really other parts of the world. A little bit on the personal side for Bob, he's been active in the Young Presidents Organization for about 35 years. This is an organization that is dedicated to executive education, and it's about the whole family, but really focuses on CEO education. Uh, There's 22,000 member presidents throughout the world, and Bob has held a number of leadership roles in YPO. He's also been active in leadership in industry associations higher education, uh, and and government boards. He served on the Utah State Board of Regents for 12 years, and this is one of Bob's passions. He's worked extensively to improve funding and outcomes for the uh, Utah system of public education. He, He likes to ski, hike, bike, swim, loves the outdoors. He's focused on nutrition and fitness and has a very close family, spends a lot of time with them. So as you can tell, I'm pretty excited to have uh, Bob with us today. It's been said that an organization is really but the shadow of its leader. And MTC 
is one of the very best organizations anywhere in the world. I mean, it is definitely a reflection of Bob. He is an excellent leader, a caring person. I'm grateful for his friendship. So, Bob, are you ready to rock and roll today? Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's just start off. Uh, Bob, as you reflect on your experiences in life, what are some of the key lessons learned, like professional lessons that have helped you and your business be successful? Well, thanks, Steve. I talk about this subject a lot. We have a management development program, leadership development program within our company. And so with close to 10,000 employees, we're always looking for who the upcoming leaders are going to be. And we have a structured 18-month program that we have uh, potential leaders go through our future leaders. And so this is a, a topic I talk about a lot. The first one I'm going to mention is one I don't really talk about so much, but I think uh, one of the most important things you can do to approach a leadership position is to have a little bit of humility. Um, So often running a large organization becomes kind of a power trip for some people and it's about them and not the organization. And I hope I'm just the opposite of that, that I think, uh, you know, you really depend on the team of people you have put together for the success of the organization. There's uh, no no one person is not replaceable, and uh, that's an important lesson to learn, I think, for everybody to have a little humility and give other people the credit for accomplishments and make sure you're appreciative of what they're doing and not so focused on what you personally did. And that's definitely true for me because I'm, I have got a lot better people around me than than I am, and that's what makes our organization strong. But the things I really talk about is what's made a difference for our company is performance. Um, All of our business is operating government contracts. But this is, I think, true of any organization that, you know, you're signing people up for some um, service or good and performing on that contract is the most important thing you can do. There are always a set of expectations that are defined in a contract and the contracting agency wants to see that those obligations are met. And so performance is number one for us. And that's really been the secret to our growth for since the beginning of the company. We're now celebrating our 40th year. So we've had 40 years of performing on contracts and we have a good reputation for that. And that's how we that's how we grow because you know in any industry, the people making those kind of decisions, it tends to be a small group of people and they tend to talk to each other and compare notes. And so if you're performing on contracts, that's number one. The second thing that uh, we really try and focus on is innovation. And what are we going to do beyond the the requirements of the contract? What's the wow factor? How are we going to exceed expectations? And bringing innovative ideas to anybody's or any group, any organization's problems is going to make you uh, more valuable to them. So We've always tried to be a very innovative company coming with new ideas, new methods that can uh, take the performance of the contracting organization further than it's been before. And then the last one, and then probably the most important one that I like to talk about is integrity, because there's nothing more important than the integrity of an individual and particularly the integrity of of an organization. So my worst nightmare is, uh, employee that cheats on behalf of the company. So whether that's in a government procurement or in terms of the way they treat our fellow employees, 
that can lead to litigation for us, loss of business for a government contractor. Um, if it becomes a pattern, you can be debarred from ever bidding on a government contract again. And so that would, that's kind of the death knell for a, uh, government contractor, but you know, it's just the right thing to do to treat people with respect and dignity and operate, uh, as you want your mother to see you operate or have your actions reported on the front page of the local newspaper as something that would make you proud. So integrity is critically important. So I think those three or four things are what I would put at the top of the list of lessons I've learned and the lessons I try and pass on to our employees and my family for that matter. Okay. Well, those are, those are so powerful. I'm just interested, Bob, with of a large organization like that, how do you create an environment where there is innovation across the board that they see problems, they're able to solve problems. And like, how do you create that culture? And not only that, but also the integrity, but how about innovation in a large company? How does that kind of come along? And I love these ideas, the culture of performance of that's the reason you're in business and and delivering on those contracts. Yeah. Well, I mean, the culture of performance or the culture of innovation are something that, you know, you have to work hard to create because, but, but if you get a group of leaders who are really talking about that and rewarding that and recognizing that, other people want to become part of the you know group that's being recognized and rewarded. And so it's definitely something that you can build into the organization. Um, innovation is, is something that we reward, we recognize, we have programs to recognize individual innovations that employees come up with, the different facilities that we operate. We take some of the more critical issues that we're facing and have an annual contest on who can make the biggest outcome to the issue that we're facing. You know, in the past, that could be an environmental program. It could be uh, learning outcomes. It could be retention of students in a program. There's a lot of different factors or measurements that we could focus on, and we change those from year to year. But, you know, we have a year-long program. uh, A a group has to say, okay, here's what we're going to try and do. We're going to increase retention from 80% to 90%. And and these are the steps we're going to take to do it. And then at the end of the year, we see if they did it and what steps they've taken. And the ones that make the biggest impact get five, $10,000 rewards for their facility. And so it's a big contest. People get really excited about it and work hard to be that. And, and, you know, that's just an example of innovation. It's not like the only innovation. What we want to do is just create a culture where everybody is looking for better ways to do their job. Are there more effective ways, more efficient ways that we can do it and improve the outcomes that we're measuring as part of our various contracts? But it's a, it takes a lot of work and a commitment. But if the leadership of the organization is talking about innovation and recognizing it, it becomes pretty easy for the rest of the group's uh, employees to fall, fall in. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great advice. It really starts at the top and then goes through the whole organization, doesn't it? It does. So would you mind, as you reflect on these things that you've talked about and, you know, we're, we're going to have listeners from all over the world and leaders will have employees that'll be listening to this, people that want to make a difference within their organizations. And as you reflect on where you gained 
these insights where, where it formed or impact you to say, hold it, I, I would like to be a humble leader and respecting other people and providing dignity and integrity is a big deal. Do you mind taking a moment and maybe share an experience or two on how you learn these lessons? Well, I mean, I think it's they're kind of the same lessons you would apply to your family and how you want to raise your kids. So fortunately, I, I got some of this from my parents or probably actually a lot of it from my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what the background that I came into employment with. And I came in to work into a family business. So my dad was involved. And so the the values um, that I learned as a child just kind of spilled over into the values I have at work. But our business is a little bit unusual. Is It's 100% trying to improve outcomes and improve uh, or overcome challenges that at-risk people have. So the population that we deal with are people that have dropped out of school for one reason or another. Um, they may have mental health issues. They may have behavioral issues. And, you know, they're frequently from a no parent or one parent family. They could have been homeless. There's a lot of different issues that people come to us with. And they tend to put up walls. Um, You know, if somebody's not performing well in school year after year and people are laughing at them or saying you're never going to make it or putting them down, that's not an environment people like to be in. And so what happens is people start to put up walls. And uh, that's, you know, put in a classroom, it could be putting your head down on the desk and pretending you're asleep or being the class clown or not even coming to class. And so our job is to try and give people the self-confidence and self-esteem that they're willing to risk in a classroom environment again. And so we're looking for any positive um, outcomes and, and celebrate it and say, oh, my gosh, that's just so phenomenal of what you did this week in, in this class and, and raise expectations for people who haven't had them, anybody set them that high for them before. So we're trying to set higher expectations than they've had before. And, and you know, not everybody reacts to that because some people have just been through so much or have some chemical or genetic issue that is hard to overcome. But for by far the majority People thrive in that kind of environment. People like to get positive recognition. And so when they have had a life without it and, and they come into an environment where it's there, it's such a positive atmosphere to be in. And so, I mean, the best part of my job is visiting our facilities. And when I do, I tour around and go to the health services, food services, dormitories, places like that. But where I find I learn the most is going to visit classrooms. And so, you know, you're talking to 15 or 20 people in a small group and just ask them about their experiences. You know, it's it's uh, pretty surprising how how appreciative they are and how many people say thank you. And I'm talking about also people who are in prison. So this is not some place you would expect people to be, you know, appreciative of being there. And, you know, obviously they would rather be home with their families, but they've been in other correctional environments where that kind of environment doesn't exist and they're such it's such a welcome relief for them and such a positive experience to come into a positive environment that it's it's very rewarding the same thing's true with the the teachers that we employ Uh, more often than not they've come from the public school system and so they've been a teacher before 
And I frequently say, you know, why did you come to a prison to work? And, and they've just, it's an emotional experience for them. And they say, you know, I've never had such a uh, group of students who are so appreciative of what I'm doing and, and try so hard to, to meet my expectations or the challenges I set for them. And, and for a prison, that's pretty amazing. I'm, you know, I've been doing this for decades and to have teachers in a, in a prison classroom talk like that. It's, it's still to me surprising to this day, but I've hardly ever talked to a teacher who has a different reaction than that. And they, they really like coming into this facility and, and you see the inmates and the offenders who are in these classrooms and they're, big tough guys with tattoos all over their body and somebody you'd think you'd be afraid to walk down the street next to. And they just tell these personal stories about how much the teacher has done for them and how they explain it better than other teachers explain it or encourage them. And it's, it's incredibly rewarding to be in that kind of an environment. Bob and I have long shared a passion and that is help people become the very best that they can be. And you can hear that in Bob's voice as he's describing how rewarding it is to see people change and, and to realize, you know, becoming their best, if you will. Bob, from your point of view, how do you bring out the best in people, your employees, people in the prisons, people in the job centers? How do you do that? How do you bring out the best in others? Well, I mean, there's probably a lot of different approaches to that, but the approach we use within our organization is, you know, creating a culture that brings out the best. And, and it all starts with what you said earlier, um, you know, treating people with respect and, and dignity. People that come to prison are not used to being treated that way. They've created a felony and been convicted of it, and that's how they ended up in prison. And so people along the way have just said, you know, you're no good, you're a criminal, you're a bad person. And then that's how they tend to to act. And, you know, our role, we have nothing to do with who comes to us. Um, You know, the court system, the criminal justice system, police are the ones in charge of that. And so when we when they come to our facilities, our job is to get them ready to be coming to come out. And 99 percent of them are going to come back on the street and be your neighbor And so that's our complete focus is, you know, how are we going to get them to buy into a new program? And if you treat people with respect and and dignity, that's, you know, almost always that's what they give back to you. And then that builds, that's the platform to build on to try and set higher expectations and talk about becoming their best and help them think of things that they may never have thought of in their life that they could do as a career or as a as a spouse or as a parent. And there's a lot of different ways people can choose to become their best. But I think having a a culture that creates that, whether that's in your family and your work environment or wherever it exists, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, great. And it sounds like you also give them a skill set of a new way to think of of setting a new direction and goals or whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, we have very structured programs to deal with that. And, and you know, the people that get in trouble get in trouble for a lot of different reasons. Some that, so, so we have a cognitive behavior class, uh, anger management classes, but to try and assess what the issue is that got somebody in trouble in the, in the first place and then have programs specifically addressed to helping them overcome that. 
pretty much no one in prison likes this, where they are and they don't always have the tools and haven't had the enriching family experience, for example, that uh, most others have had. And so they, they lack the tools to, to make changes in their lives. So if you give them the tools and the encouragement to use those tools, you know, they become excited about it. And they're, they, you know, that doesn't mean they still don't have a lot of challenges both in the, while they're in prison and particularly once they get out and go back to their home or community they came from. But more often than not, they, they react very positively to that. And it's uh, very encouraging to see. Well, that's exciting. So, Bob, if you had the chance to sit down with someone who is just joining your team, what would be one or two things you would say to them about what it means to be a great team member? Well, I do talk to a lot of new employees. And <laughs> one of the things that I think really makes a difference is, you know, not everybody has all the experience you need to take on a new job or all, or all the skills that they could to be successful. But if somebody comes with a positive ta- attitude and an eagerness to learn, there's almost no job that wouldn't be or no employer that wouldn't be really happy to work with that person and help them get the experience and the skills to, to have a successful career. Everybody wants to work with people with positive attitudes. And I should say that Steve Schallenberger is probably the most optimistic, positive attitude guy I've ever known. And so he's been a mentor for me for decades and I watch Steve and, and the way he approaches people. And, and I want to be like Steve and emulate that. And I talk about it a lot because some people have a mental health issue or something that prevents them from being positive every day. But for most of us, it's kind of just a decision that, you know, every we all face adversity and have bad things happen to us. And if you can just, you know, say, hey, God, this is really a problem, but here's the path forward and here's where we're going and and present a positive spin on a negative situation or hopefully a positive spin on a positive situation. That's so infectious with other people and and have an eagerness to learn and, and admit, hey, I need some help. I don't understand this or I really don't get this. That's the ideal employee that you want to be specific about what help they need. And and that helps the employer provide the help. So I I think at the very top of the list would just be to have a positive attitude and an eagerness to learn. I guess the second thing I would talk about is that one of the things I've already talked about is integrity because it just means so much to be honest and truthful and uh, helping other people with the same issue and just creating a culture of integrity. It's, it's critical for any successful employer. And so uh, an employee with a lot of integrity is the most valuable employee uh, we could ever have. Well, thank you so much, uh, Bob. Those are great recommendations for any employee anywhere It does make such a difference because we always encounter challenges along the way, but we have the attitude that we're going to take this thing on and figure out a way to solve it, you know, and, and then the other one is treating people right. That's a big deal. And thank you for your comment. I feel the same way about Bob, of course, and he's been an amazing influence in my life. I was very impressed with Bob and I, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up and maybe you could describe it, Bob, but they really work hard to have ongoing training within their own company. 
And so this is an active uh, program that they have. And Bob shared that they're trying to teach their own employees to be sensitive to discrimination and to not have discrimination of any type. I mean, this goes right along with what Bob was talking about of having respect and dignity for all people. What he decided to do, and maybe you could talk about this, Bob, as you pulled together a panel. Would you mind sharing that and what one of your employees shared, this one lady that agreed to be on the panel? Well, with the whole Black Lives Matter issue before us over the past year, and, and, and the issues underlying that go way back before the last year, but it's a big topic in the workforce now. And so, you know, we've tried to be sensitive to that and had focus groups um, with different groups of people, you know, racial, ethnic, uh, sexual orientation, whatever, and and just, you know, say, what kind of employer are we and what are the challenges that you have to face? One of the things we did a couple of months ago is we have a monthly all staff meeting and it's now done by Zoom. We have about 200 people participate in it. And we asked five uh, of our employees who are all African-American to talk about their experiences and, you know, any issues, racial bias, prejudice that they faced. And and it was one of the most compelling emotional in-service meetings we ever had because these are people we know and work with that have never really talked about this at work before because, you know, it just doesn't seem to, in their minds productive to do that. But we invited um, a few people to do it and they told, you know, personal stories that were heart-wrenching about, you know, being treated by neighbors or by the police and and specific instances. And one woman was, uh, who's about 60 year old um, African-American woman who was traveling for MTC. She was on a work trip and was in a small town in the South and was pulled over by the police and asked the policeman asked to see her car registration and she'd rented it. And, you know, with COVID they didn't, they, a lot of car rental agencies have gone paperless. And so she didn't have it, but she had it on an app on her phone. She said to the officer, well, I, I don't have one. And, you know, it's a rental car. I can show it to you on my phone. And he thought she was being disrespectful or, or was just a jerk, but started giving her a hard time and made her, get out of the car and then threw her up against the hood of the car for not having the car registration. I mean, it's just a horrendous treatment of a wonderful person. And so to hear her tell her story of what had just happened a month or so ago and where she was on company business and just, you know, you know, doing her minding her own business, but it was, uh, you know, stories like that were heart wrenching, but you know, it opens up everybody's heart to what somebody else is going through. So we can work harder to have a, a positive work environment for every one of our employees, whatever their background is. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Bob, and creating that opportunity. That's a great example for all of us to think of ways to sensitize our own employees and educate them. Well, we're in the wrap-up now, and, and on a personal side, what are two or three of your biggest lessons learned in life? Well, I mean, there's a lot of lessons. Uh, <laughs> I know there are. <laughs> but a couple, I mean, I think a couple of good ones are just, uh, and Steve Schallenberger, this again, certainly emulates this, is to just to maintain a positive relationship with everyone. I mean, you're not going to agree with the tactics or the, the, the acts of every other person, but 
it's a lot, it's frequently best just to keep your mouth shut in those situations and let it pass. I mean, that doesn't mean you, if it's uh, causing a problem that's in your workplace, for example, of course you have to deal with it. But right. if it comes to a situation where you have to let an employee go because of, for whatever reason, I mean, I always go out of my way to try and maintain a positive relationship when someone's leaving and call them up and just say, you know, I'm so sorry this didn't work out. And I wish you the best of luck in your future career. And if there's any way I can ever help you, I I hope you'll give me a call. And I seldom get a call back, but I think everybody appreciates that kind of thing. And, you know, it's surprising how often that people who leave our company come back to work for a competitor or get hired by the government and become our boss on some future contract, people who have axes to grind that are out there are not your friend. You know, they'll badmouth you to other people and just, it's just better to do everything you can to maintain a positive relationship with everyone. And even in challenging situations, you can try and take a step back and avoid the situation altogether if you can, but uh, just to, to be everybody's friend is one of the best things you can do. And the second thing is uh, something Steve mentioned in his, in his introduction, but I'm become more and more health focused as I grow older. Maybe it's because uh, death gets closer as well, but I don't think there's ever been as much scientific evidence of the positive benefit of physical good health. And, you know, you have such control over that through what you eat and a fitness regime. So it just, it's be crazy not to be focused right now on good nutrition and, and physical fitness. And then also to be aware of the emotional side, because, uh, you know, everybody's got emotional issues, stress that we're dealing with and to learn about that and learn strategies to maintain a healthy emotional um, side as well through good sleep and could be meditation or different things like that. And, and nutrition and fitness obviously play into that as well, but protecting your health is the most, is the best thing you can do to improve your academic potential and to improve your work potential. So it's a lot better to have a longer life at a healthy pace than a shorter life uh, of being sick a lot. So I'm very focused on that right now. And, and I encourage everybody I come in contact with to, to pay attention to that as well. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. What a delight. This has uh, just been the best. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Steve. And keep up the good work. What a great podcast. Oh, you bet. And well, I'll just say one other thing about Bob. We mentioned it earlier. As you can tell, he's a remarkable individual. One of the things I've learned from Bob, among many other things, is how important education is. He has been such an advocate uh, at all levels. Uh, you can see that he does it professionally, but he does it with in every area that he's in. He recommends it to people to keep gaining knowledge and new experience, but also with our education systems that they're properly funded. So thanks, Bob, for that example. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very passionate about that. That's true. Well, okay. Well, Bob, we wish you all the best. Uh, uh, the world's a better place because of Bob Marquardt. Thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks, Steve. Okay. And we wish all of you, every one of our listeners, uh, the very best. We're uh, privileged and honored that you're, you join our show. 
And uh, I am really certain that today you've gained some great lessons. So this is Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, it would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.